Welcome one and all to Last Stop Penn Station podcast featuring Carrie Silken and Ian Riccoboni. They dive deep into Carrie's wealth of stories and no subject is off limits. From the world of wrestling to his ticket agency, growing up in New Jersey, drug-fueled underground days, hustling in the French Quarter of New Orleans, and endless days and nights in New York City, every story is worth telling. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting edition of Last Stop Penn Station. I'm Ian Riccoboni. We are joined by always, as always, our guest of honor, Carrie Silken. Carrie, we just got off the phone with Kevin Sullivan. What a treat it is to talk to him. Yeah, talk about a, a true living legend, mm-hmm. a true historian. Right. Um, you know, we're doing this poster of the week stuff. Adfreeshows.com. And, and it's not stuff. We're doing the poster of the week. You know, thank you, Conrad. Mm-hmm. And, uh as well as the 55 and 5, and as well as our podcast. And to have, well, in the case of this week, Kevin's, one of the posters was Kevin was on the car. He was on the car and explained a, a unique match type. Right. And, you know, here's a guy that wrestled from 1970 and is still currently in the business, mm-hmm. working behind the scenes with, uh, I forget the name of the company, but they're in Texas. And, you know, Ring of Honor alumnus, yeah, uh, his credentials, and, and he's a—he's not only a wrestling historian. I don't know if you know this. He's an incredible baseball historian. Yeah, that used to be my favorite part of traveling with him. I traveled briefly with him, as well as world history. You know, he's—he's mm-hmm. he's traveled a lot. He knows all about you know Ro- Roman history and mm-hmm. uh, British history, going back you know to the various periods of time and uh, very well read and, and learned guy. And to talk wrestling with him. Yeah. It's like, uh, and I was today earlier, I was saying, I said to Kevin, when are you going to write your book? Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a guy who was at the head of the ship, WCW, Eric Bischoff gets all the credit, but the man formatting the TVs, laying out the matches, the man who made Goldberg. Right. And the, the man who led the NWO to what they did. Right. I mean, it's incredible. Uh, you know, he had Vince on the ropes and the WWE on the ropes. And, uh, you know, it's just one of the underrated person, people in wrestling, Kevin Sullivan. And he has he has a podcast with John Paz, Two Man Power Trip. Mm-hmm. John has a podcast. Uh, like I don't know how he has the time to do it, but he has like five a week. Yeah, and he has Kevin on. So mm-hmm. if you want to hear about, uh, you know, the Kevin talks about these various eras. I think a lot of it is concentrated on the Nitro era. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me, but uh, yeah, it's great to have Kevin as a friend. I'm glad that you know he came to Ring of Honor, uh, and I wish he would. Who knows? Maybe he'll be back. Yeah. That, I mean, we have some uh, some interesting characters who we've seen each and every week, including this past week on the watch along with two great matches, two young guys, Tony Depp and LSG. It was a great match, a little kind of a kind of a final battle rematch yes. between the two. And then we had uh, an excellent main event, the foundation. They said they were a little disappointed on with how things went in that big eight man brawl the week before. So they were going to have a match 
under their rules and, and set their tempo. And what's interesting to me is that there's not really a sense of who to cheer for, who is the villain, because I like what the foundation does, but they're kind of getting under my skin a little bit about their wrestling's the right way. When me as a fan, I like the pure, I like the brawling, I like Roosh who just throws everybody around. And this was this was going back. They used to say, "Ooh, we're going to have a scientific match," right? Which was uh, in the old days would mean it was like you know two good guys. Mm-hmm. And this was a six man match, yeah. scientific, uh, and it was you know plenty of great wrestling, right? Plenty of this was not boring, right? This was you know plenty of action, and uh, you could join us for these watch parties. Uh, every Monday, seven o'clock Eastern time. Uh, it's free on ROH on the on the uh, ROH website mm-hmm. uh, and on Fight TV. And you should definitely join Honor Club. Absolutely, There's so much good stuff on there. Yeah, the archives are getting larger and larger. This week, the World Six Man Titles are on the line. Carry SOS Shane Taylor finally getting that shot against Mexa Squad. That should be that should be a, a a brawl. Yeah, talk about contrast to styles. You know, two guys over three hundred pounds, and Taylor and Moses, and then you got Khan, who's just shredded, maybe two forty, against three very quick but very strong uh, Mexican stars. Well, one of these days we're gonna I'm gonna suggest to the uh, powers of B to do a lights out. A lights out. Have we ever done a lights out? <laughs> yes, actually. Oh, they... Kevin Steen and Cliff Compton. Okay. Yeah, in non-sanctioned lights out. I remember Kevin Kelly and Steve Carino left ringside. If you watch the tape, there's no commentary and not sanctioned. Yeah. So well, we've, we've done at least we need, one. We need to do another one. Yeah. Um, and the, uh, I hope I got this right. Uh, we've announced the uh, anniversary uh, pay-per-view. We've announced the date. Yeah. Friday, March 26th. That's going to be coming from Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, it's going to be an exciting event. All the titles are on the line according to the preview. So we will... Whoever walks out of Shane Taylor versus Roosh as the champion will defend that on the pay-per-view. Whoever walks out the six-man champs will walk out and defend that on the pay-per-view. Shane Taylor's in an interesting position because he could be defending two titles in one night like Gresham did back at Final Battle if he can cash in this week for the six-man and next week for the world title on television. So is it possible that Shane Taylor and Gresham Yes, it could be. Yeah, Yeah, it could be. We could have two double champions. We could have two men defending two titles at the same time. Gresham and Lethal are defending the titles two weeks from now against the winner of the Briscoes versus Kenny King and Dragon Lee, a team that's teaming together, finding some chemistry. The Briscoes on the rocks, but they've said they put it back together this week. Well, depending on the protocols Mm -hmm. and uh, some other variables, uh, there's a chance uh, I might be in attendance. Wow. Uh, yeah, Joe Coff and uh, gotten got a hold of me through Gary Juster, and mm-hmm. uh, there's a few hoops to jump through. But if it's uh, if it's works for me and mm-hmm. for the company and for the athletic commission, uh, I'd love to be at the anniversary show. Because I was there last year, the one that didn't happen. Right. We had a rousing game of craps yes, though, at, at the beautiful stratosphere, which was uh, Lady Luck came. We, were, we weren't doing so well, and Lady Luck came, and uh, suddenly we shot back up, and 
you, myself, and the great Todd Sinclair uh, had a nice drive back. We drove you back to the airport in the pouring rain. It was pouring. raining in Vegas, which is strange. Yes. Yeah, flooded. Yeah, flooded. it was crazy. Yeah, it was very odd. But I'm looking forward to being back. It was the uh, first pay-per-view that had been canceled for Ring of Honor and Ring of Honor's history. But we're looking to looking to come back on the 26th for 19th anniversary. Should be a heck of a card. And uh, some great TV matches coming up. Like you said, the six-man titles this coming week. The following week, Shane Taylor versus Roosh. And we will see Lethal and Gresham defend the tag titles against whoever wins this week between the Briscoes, Kenny King, and Dragon Lee. A lot of talent. A lot of talent. A lot, a lot of talent. And uh, we've been chugging along with the aforementioned 55 and 5, looking at the Parkhurst Canadian wrestling set, mm-hmm. which uh, you could see uh, Monday through Friday on YouTube, thanks to the help of Bassan uh, Creative and graphic design yeah. for making this possible and for you to have the whole set. <laughs> right. And uh, it's also on uh, Ed Free Shows. Uh, dot com. I yeah, adforshows.com if you want to binge the audio. So if you are driving and you don't want to have the YouTube ad up, you just download it. Um, they, you know, Conrad's been very generous. You know, the agreement we have, the videos of the poster of the week are free. I believe the 55 and 5 audio is free. All you have to do is sign up for the free tier of adfreeshows.com and you get a little reminder when new content on the free tiers put up. But if you join their, you know, the tier, the different tiers they have, the VIP tiers, you get us too, no matter what tier you're on. So it's uh, it's good for us. We're getting some more exposure. Yeah. We're rubbing, rubbing some elbows with, with JR, our buddy, uh, with uh, Tony Schiavone, my good friend from the Lehigh Valley. And uh, Eric Bischoff's on there. Everybody, everybody's anybody. Who's from the Lehigh Valley? Tony Schiavone. You didn't know this? No. Yeah, he's from a little town up uh, up past uh, the Poconos, or up, Never up near that. the Poconos, down past the Poconos, <laughs> closer to Allentown. Yeah, if it's past the Poconos North, it's not the Lehigh Valley anymore. But yeah, he's, never do that. Yeah, he's a little bit past Lee Heighton. So all right, and, and and well, you know, the poster of the week's been a lot of fun. It's developed now into the posters of the week. Right. Do this glut of posters. Um, real quick, uh, in the, uh, the pop culture section, watched a really, we mentioned, I know you still haven't watched it. I'm like, I won't put you on the spot. The, uh, one night in Miami. Mm-hmm. Shane Taylor's watched it though. He's been talking about it. Yeah. You, you gotta see it. So mm-hmm. this, uh, sparked, uh, you know, it's about Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, and Sam Cooke. So myself and our producer, AJ, we watched a great Sam Cooke documentary. The, the, the title of it is, what was it? The, the deaths, it was like plural, the two deaths of Sam. Because mm. uh, there's different stories. Right, it's his, his murder is still relatively unsolved. The case officially solved, but there's still it, a lot of uh, they, question yeah, marks. Yeah, it's... Uh, Case closed, kind of right thing. The government might have been involved. Could it have been his association with Malcolm X? Mm. Might have had something to do with it. Could have been uh, simply uh, his uh, love of women. His, right. Uh, that's the. That's actually the story they taught us in high school. Was that it was his extreme love of women, and uh, they taught that in high school. They that's did. That was part of our, our history, uh, history of music curriculum. Yeah. You know, because he was found in this tube. You know, he had. He was a Sam Cooke's really interesting. Besides the great music he did, 
Uh, he was one of the early young black entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was Barry Gordy, mm-hmm. but uh, Sam Cooke was a young man and he was creating his own record label and had a number of artists. And uh, by 1965, uh, which I believe was the year of his death, 64 or 65. I think it was 64. Uh, he was Grammy Award winning mm-hmm. or, you know, top 10, top 10 artists, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, to wind up with this, as the story went, this hooker. Mm-hmm. In the Hacienda Motel. The motel was not a... Three dollars. You see on the documentary, three dollars. It's like that hotel out in Coopersburg near the uh, the adult bookstore. <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about? Well, I mean, there's you know, the one by the old... It used to be at Danny's anyway, but yeah. Southern Lee High School. And the three dollars wasn't even the short stay rate. That was the, that was the long term. Oh my! The executive in that's the, right. not no for free publicity, but that's the one I'm talking about. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's where he was found, uh, shot w- naked, yeah, w- with thirty bullets in him. Insane. And uh, check out the documentary. I'm sure there's more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that was really interesting. I also I kept I've been mentioning this for weeks. First it was Led Zeppelin, mm-hmm. and then it was Pierre Grant, and uh, I was talking it up to Gary Juster, mm-hmm. and uh, he was very fascinated because you know Peter Grant was a rock promoter, and uh, Gary Juster was in the or the wrestling business, and mm-hmm. he's done music. He's done also. music. Yeah, he's done concerts. So yeah. he was really fascinated. So Gary has sent me some books over the years. So I sent Gary a copy of this uh, Bring It On Home book. Nice. And the book was written in 2018. We mentioned in a previous episode, Peter Grant was in the wrestling business. He was a thespian also, as you like to say, bit parts and uh, got into the music business. Uh, He was, you know, like... Look after Gene Vincent. You mm. heard of Gene Vincent? I have, yeah. He's right. A, yep. He was an American, but he was popular in the UK. Mm-hmm. And uh, then when Bo Diddley and Chuck Berry came over, look after, you know, look after these guys mm-hmm. and make sure they're all right, make sure they get paid. And all this eventually led him to knowing he knew everyone, but he knew the Yardbirds. Uh, you know, the Yardbirds, boys and girls, if you don't know, had rotating members, but including mm-hmm. Clapton, uh, Jeff Beck, and right. Jimmy Page. And when the Yard, the Yardbirds, uh, it could have been their next album, but it became Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Page, so Peter Grant and Jimmy Page got this all together, and uh, it's absolutely fascinating. He he uh, he was one of the only men to challenge guys like Bill Graham and Ron Delsner. Oh, At wow. the time, the promoters, it was 60-40. Okay. Bands got 60%, promoters got 40%. Well, Led Zeppelin won. You know, you can't demand anything, but that was a bit of a hit. But Led Zeppelin, too, right. with a whole lot of love. 
and uh, the Lemon Song and Heartbreaker, Living, Loving, Made. Mm-hmm. It was huge, huge. It stayed on. It was like a Dark Side of the Moon style where it stayed on the charts for like uh, years. Yeah. So when it was a bona fide, you know, hey, this has been in the top 10 for six months. Right. He went to these promoters. Now, I don't know if he had success with what I'm going to tell you, but he de- he demanded, tried to demand. Uh, do you try to demand? Demand ninety <laughs> ten. Whoa. Yeah, and <laughs> as you could see, but well, if you right behind is that poster. There was a there was a Fillmore show. It was probably their first. There was a Fillmore show. I hope I didn't talk about this last week, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> no, we ironed it. It was. Iron Butterfly was the lead, and the opening act might have been, uh, you know, Chuck Berry. Okay. And Zeppelin was in the middle, and Peter Grant demanded that Zeppelin be the headliner Hmm. to Bill Graham. And uh, Bill Graham was like, what are you talking about? You know, but he would do crazy stuff like that. And uh, if you watch... The song remains the same, which is the Zeppelin documentary. Uh, Peter Grant is in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, all 350, it's like, <laughs> takes that 401 pounds. <laughs> no, like 300, 300 some odd pounds, six foot three, you know, just uh, ruled the So really fascinating read. Um, what else we got here in the pop culture uh, world here? So- Gary sent me a great music recommendation and there's a guy, Emmett Rhodes, who looks like Paul McCartney, sounds like Paul McCartney. Okay. I uh, was around when Paul McCartney was around, but had he produced his own music and that rubbed people the wrong way. He couldn't really chart because he wasn't on a, officially on a major record label, uh, but he's just this amazing uh, amazing artist. So Gary just put me on to him. He's from 68, 70, you know, 68 through 73, 74. And, uh, Emmett Rhodes, he, and I just learned he passed away just recently, just a few, few months ago. Well, if he turns on to Emmett Rhodes, he must also try to be pushing one of his current favorites, the Kennedys. The Kennedy. No, he hasn't. Yeah. The Kennedys <laughs> okay. is a current band. They yeah. do, you know, live streaming. Gary's pretty hip when he comes to his uh, yeah. music taste. He's uh, he's on, you know, I'm always thinking everything I'm listening to is 50 and 60 <laughs> years old as opposed to you or, or our producer. <laughs> Gary, uh, Gary and I line up well, though. We're, we're both big into Steve Forbert. We're both big into these uh, folky, folky rock things. I turned him on to Surfer Blood, which is a kind of a current band. It's uh, kind of a poppy surfer band and, and White Reaper, which I've sent you yes it sounds a lot like thin lizzie with the big double guitars and uh yeah so gary and i we we've exchanged some new ones but he he hit me with that and then that led to uh to phil seymour which we were talking off the air was the drummer for phil collins which sounds like an oxymoron but it's not <laughs> it's a big role to fill right yeah pun intended two fills phil seymour <laughs> phil collins filling in on the drums Think about Phil Collins. I mean, with uh, Peter Gabriel, uh, he was he if you look at if you listen and look at the old Genesis concerts, Phil Collins, you know, sang in the background a little. But for for Gabriel to leave the band 
And I really like the early Genesis stuff. You know, if you're a prog head like I am of the early prog, um, you know the names, mm-hmm. but the yeses and Floyds of the world. Um, uh, Genesis had some great stuff. Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, Trick of the Tail. And for, for um, Gabriel to leave and Phil Collins to say, that's all right. I'll get up there and sing it. <laughs> yeah. And I went to Forest Hills Tennis Stadium in 1980. Oh, wow. For uh, their tour. And they were the first, and we referenced this also, they were the first band and they patented at the time to use the moving light. Oh, yeah. Instead of the old bulb gel, it's red. <laughs> bulb gel, it's green. Yeah. And you have 20 red lamps. And 20, <laughs> they, had the move, they had the moving lights that changed, not only changed colors, but changed direction. Wow. And um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so Phil Collins, uh, he gets knocked around a little. He was he's pretty cool. We also watched um, AJ and I had watched this uh, the Ken Burns jazz documentary. Oh, right. mm-hmm. So I pulled up this Louis Armstrong concert. It was from the early '60s. Wow! It was only like 50 minutes, 55 minutes, but uh, it was awesome. It was mm-hmm. like, what was it? Like six pieces. It's Louis, a drummer, a stand-up bass player, uh, a guy on trombone, a guy on clarinet. And he had a, a guest singer, hmm. you know, like during the show, he has his young lady comes out. Sure. And uh, it was fantastic. So uh, trying to find some cool stuff. Uh, and it was, it was recorded really well. You know, there's sound-wise, mm-hmm. it, was, it was excellent. So that's my, oh yeah, one la- last but not least, uh, was, we were giving Gary a lot of props here, but he deserved it. Gary turned me on to this Frank Langella book. Now, okay. Frank Langella is known for his performance in Dracula in the 80s. He's a New York stage actor. He was also, did you ever see the Frost Nixon movie? Mm-hmm. And he played Nixon. Okay. And I saw that on Broadway. Oh, wow. And so Frank Langella, um, it's called Dropping Names. Hmm. And he just talks about these people in the course of his life. Mel Brooks, these are old actors, Kirk Douglas, and old producers and uh, New York theater people that I, I really wasn't familiar with. And like... And just tell stories about his experiences with them and just the way they spoke. And, you know, these these actresses like uh, Catherine Hepburn. Right. Mm -hmm. And she would talk like, oh, that guy's a cocksucker. And he's a good one. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Right. And and, um, he's just got some great stories. So as I was going through it, um, I said I called Gary. I said, yeah, this is good. I said. But a lot of these people, I, I said, are you familiar with them? Because it's a lot of New York theater. He goes, no. <laughs> but they just make up great stories, you yeah. know, including uh, Anne Bancroft mm-hmm. was married to Mel Brooks. She's known for a lot of things, but she was in The Graduate with mm-hmm. Dustin Hoffman. 
and like he'll just tell a story like you know they're they're out drinking and they're fr- they, they they knew each other for years and it, and and Bancroft says to him like like Langella says I, yeah I was at, well, what was it like with Dustin Hoffman you know he was a young man and she <laughs> didn't she's like yeah and she was married to Mel Brooks who's a nice Jewish man sure she goes eh. he's like all those. He's like all those little Jews. Well, we did the nude scene in bed. The fucking guy, the fucking kid. What kind of actor is he? He's got a hard on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a good actor. You know, you know, so, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> I never considered that. Yes. <laughs> what you might do with, yeah, right, okay. Right, and there's all kinds of casting couch stuff. Oh. You know, the New York theater scene, there was a lot of... Uh, seediness. There was, well, there was seediness and there was a lot of uh, gay people involved. And, oh, you know, nice. he started in like the in the mid-60s mm-hmm. and just some really good stories. So the dropping names, yeah. you know, people are listening to this. It's like... I guarantee you, whatever age you are, unless you're really closed-minded, if you want to hear about characters, yeah. which we stress on Last Stop Penn Station, mm-hmm. then uh, it's a really good book. So, uh, speaking of characters, we were in Hoboken, right? We were talking about we were talking about Mr. Kelly, talking about Frank Kelly, talking yeah. about redheads, mm-hmm. and uh, we went into detail as much as I could about uh, Kelly's Pub and the characters around there. And I sent a link to, I mentioned in the last week's episode that I was hipped that if you go with Kelly to a day baseball game, because he couldn't make it to a night game. (laughs) If you go to a day game, uh, make sure... Uh, understand that he's going to leave you, and I'm like, now, now this, my, this was told to me by Brian McGordy, and it, it, Brian was once again he was a bartender there. Mm-hmm. He was a Hoboken fireman. He was a, he was an aspiring thespian also. He did yep. some off Broadway work oh, and nice. some others, and uh, so he was. He told me, listen, Kelly's going to split. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm going to the game with him. He goes, Carrie. I've been going with him for years. This is what he does. And sure enough, that happened. You could hear about it on last week's episode. But where I'm going with this is I sent the episode to Brian. Mm-hmm. And uh, a day, day or so went by and I didn't hear back from him. But then yesterday, I get this very nice text from him. Mm-hmm. And that says he really enjoyed the episode. That was, you know, you nailed it. Uh, I thought, you know... Maybe I could have, might have offended him or, you know, bringing up the names or he shouldn't have said that about whatever. But I said, let me call. Mm -hmm. So I called Brian and we spoke on the phone for a good 20, 30 minutes. And uh, he said, you know, I nailed it. And he also had some corrections for me. Oh, okay. I mentioned that uh, Kelly bought the bar in 1960. Mm -hmm. That was incorrect. Well, maybe the the location uh, that was on Washington between 13th and 14th, he owned four bars between 1950 on. Okay. He worked in the railroad yards and he was mm-hmm. telling me the details of, you know, Hoboken was just bustling 
just like Bethlehem. Mm -hmm. It was a bustling with industry. And uh, he went into further detail explaining to me, he goes, yeah, I, I liked it. You know, when you were telling about going to the ball game, he says, you know, when I, when that first happened to me, I go, well, I guess the first time you went with him, <laughs> he goes, well, let me just give you more details. He goes, my father, Brian McGordy's father, it was a good man, but he was a hardworking guy. And, you know, Kelly was able to leave the bar and have someone attend bar. Sure. So, so uh, Brian was uh, uh, like, in a, it was like his uncle. Okay. So Kelly would get tickets. We're talking now. Now, my stories were like the late 80s. We're talking now. Uh, let's see. Brian's almost 70. So we're talking probably in the early 70s. Yeah. So Brian was like, or maybe before that. Anyway, Brian was like 10, 11, 12 years old. So Kelly would take one of his sons, uh, Brian, and another kid. They were all 10, 11, 12. Maybe the oldest one might be 13. Maybe the oldest one might have been 10. Yeah. <laughs> and he would do it then. Right. Brian said, he goes, this was good, good training, though, for me to learn how to get you know, from Yankee Stadium back to Hoboken. Uh, so I'm assuming they took the green line just back to 34. I mean, well, they, they would take the, the four, five, the, six, the D train. Well, well, or you, you could take the four, the, the above ground. Yeah. Or you take the D to 59th. OK. Yeah. And the A to 42nd. OK. Yeah. Or to 33rd. Mm -hmm. Grab the path. Yeah. Or the bus. <laughs> Leave so, it in the hands of 10-year-olds. <laughs> right. So Brian was experiencing this from the age of 10. Wow. And I also had mentioned that after I got, I moved out of Hoboken and mm -hmm. I got my act cleaned up, we used to go to opening day. Mm -hmm. And opening day uh, would start by meeting at Kelly's. So there was, you know, you got to Kelly's at 10 in the morning. And you're drinking, right? And, and I wasn't drinking at, the, at that point. Drinking, these guys drinking right out of the gate. You get on the game was like I think I think opening days in the old and even the nineties was like two o'clock. Okay, as or maybe whatever. But you would take the bus and take the train. So Brian said to me, his son uh, Dylan, who uh, attended, uh, who's now thirty, who attended. Ring of Honor with Brian oh, okay. back at the Hammerstein a number of years ago. He said Dylan would go with him when he was a little kid. Uh, I remember Dylan. Um, and so Dylan says to Brian, his father, at one point, I know how to go to Yankee Stadium by myself. He might have been like nine, eight or nine <laughs> years old. And and Brian's like, oh, how would you do that? He goes, well, first you go to Kelly's for two hours. <laughs> and then you take that bus and then the A train. Oh but, but the point was you knew the, you go to Kelly's for a couple hours. And uh, yeah, uh, it was really good talking to him. I, uh, I left out a couple of Kelly's stories one of them's a little, a little, uh, a bit of a downer, um, but whatever. They're just classics. We mentioned previously when we were talking about 
the uh, odd jobs episode, Pioneer Homes with the with the number. Yeah. You know, the uh, playing the number and the, the right. number runners. And, yeah. Right. And I mentioned Felicio Medina. <laughs> yes. my, my downstairs neighbor, poor Felicio Medina. <laughs> Dustin reminded me, you know, my, my room. I took Dustin in. And Dustin, you know, I used to, I was a degenerate. I used to call him the world's youngest degenerate. And Dustin wouldn't tell me this stuff. He would lose his keys and I would be, I wouldn't be there. Mm. I was at the, wherever I was. And so what would Dustin do? He would bang on Felicio Medina's window. Huh. It's like three in the morning. Oh. And poor Felicia Medina, <laughs> she was such a nice lady. She, she, she'd be like, Can you? so it, he would have, she could open the door, but he still didn't have the key to the apartment. Sure. But he could climb the fire escape. Oh, wow. To, you know, to, uh, to get the in through there. the window. Oh, so, poor, so poor Felicia, but her son was the numbers runner. Mm-hmm. Now, Kelly's, um, there was a guy there. Chubby. <laughs> so, okay, so that's mean, but it's a little less mean than some of the other nicknames. So well, he one. was, you know, if you were a very, I, I asked this question, if you were a very heavy person, sure. would you rather be called Chubby, Tubby, or Fatso? Yeah, I gotta go with Chubby. Yeah, yeah. Chubby didn't mind. Well, Chubby was, uh, Chubby was a, uh, he was Puerto Rican and he hung out at Kelly's and there was a little Spanish American club around the corner and, and Chubby sold some party favors mm. and he would take the number, but uh, not in Kelly's because Kelly's took the number. Oh, really? Right. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and like that was like a service they provided, <laughs> you know, just like the I was talking about the Blarney Rock in the city, how they would cash the checks. Mm-hmm. Kelly's, you could play the number. And the question would be, what's in it for Kelly's? Yeah. Well, if a num- strangely, if a number would hit, they would, the gentle, the business, Kelly's was dealing with the old school Hoboken businessmen. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And who were around since pre-Frank Sinatra. Gotcha. That, those guys. Before Capital Wrestling. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. And uh, so the, the, the businessmen would compensate whoever took the number by giving them a percentage. Hmm. And uh, strangely enough, it was on a percentage when someone would win. Oh. You know, not when they... So you, you put... I, I'm not exactly sure of how it worked out, but I, I'm sure of, of this one day. Mm-hmm. I go into Kelly's, and it was during the day, and I, and uh, Mrs. Kelly Dotsy was there from doing the kitchen from like ten in the morning to three in the afternoon, and Patty, the daughter, one of the daughters, was working, and I come in, and Frank was—I don't even know if Frank was there—but uh, I go in there and. Patty's in the kitchen. There weren't a lot of people in there. <clears throat> and I hear this crying, like weeping. And I go around, like to where the kitchen, to where the door was, the same door where Mrs. Kelly would say, come here, kid, and slide me a $20 bill and just 
because she was just so nice. Sometimes, you know, she, I just wanted you to have it. And Patty's crying and Mrs. Kelly's in there. I think Frank was there. And I'm like, what's the matter? Well, someone died, you know, mm -hmm. something's up. And, and, and I, it, it, Kelly must have been there. Kelly's like, I, I don't worry about it, kid. Well, when things settled down, I found out that somebody hit the number and it wasn't just like a 50 cent or a dot, like a dollar would pay 500. Right. And that's why people paid, played the old school number because the pick three PA pay 200 something. It was 500 bucks. Wow. And so what happened was some, one of their customers who would faithfully, people would, I remember I used to play 574. Mm -hmm. 574, because it was a, a dress at some point. Never hit, except the day I didn't play it. <laughs> well, it this guy was a, a faithful customer, and he would play like uh, $5 on a number, and you could play it straight and boxed, mm -hmm. and he'd play it like for the week. In other words, it was a steady, what, let's just say the number was 574. He played it all the time. Mm -hmm. Well, and he played it a, a $5 bet, which was, you know, a, a $2,500 payoff. Well, the number came in. Wow. And the businessman said, you didn't give us that number yesterday. Mm. Right. And that's why they were, that's why Patty was in tears. Mm -hmm. And Mrs. Kelly, who was more composed, was, you know, and because uh, they had to pay the, you know, they paid the guy. Yeah. And these other guys, you know, that was really a shitty, it yeah. wasn't that they forgot, you know, um, I, I'm surprised that, but that's the way it went down. And Brian, Brian said that Brian told me that happened more than once. Really? Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, so that was, that was a sad day. But, you know, Kelly got real sick. And he uh, he was diagnosed terminally ill, uh, some some terrible cancer, and he was basically sent home. There was nothing they can do except give him medication, mm -hmm. and uh, he maybe had like you know a month or six weeks just keep him comfortable, and he didn't want to go to any kind of facility. They lived in Weehawken. Okay. So it was the springtime and Kelly wasn't, he, he was having a hard time walking, you know, and he, he was starting to make a little comeback, like two, three weeks into it. He, Brian told me this very, he goes, he was sitting out on the front steps and uh, he didn't smoke. And uh, one day when he felt that he could stand and walk. Uh, he said to Patty or one of the kids, take me to the bar. Hmm. And they're like, dad, you know, take me to the bar. And suddenly Kelly came to the bar. Mm -hmm. Now in the interim, when they were told he only has two weeks to six weeks, the family went out. He had clothes, but they bought a new suit. 
Oh. oh. They didn't tell them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They bought a new suit. Yeah, I just put that together. Right. So Kelly's now Kelly's coming to the bar every day. Huh. But instead of drinking the the beer and then the scotch, mm-hmm. now he's just drinking red wine. This is Brian telling me the story. Okay. And now he's coming there. You know, it's now it's like he came the first day. Now it's like a week, yeah. two weeks, three weeks. Brian said after about a month, Kelly, <laughs> Kelly says, Jesus, I, I never would have, if I knew I could have just drank red wine, I'd have been <laughs> drinking red wine the whole time. So he baffled science. Wow. And I believe it was a relative of Brian or someone with some, there was a, there was a marriage coming up mm-hmm. and there was no, you know, it was like, there was no way that Kelly was going to be able to attend this wedding. You know, he was uh, given like six weeks to live and it'd been like, now it's like into like the fourth month. <laughs> and so Brian says, so we're at the wedding and Kel- and Kelly's dancing you know, slow dancing with one of his daughters. Uh-huh. And I'm dancing with Dotsie, that's his wife. Yeah. And Dotsie <laughs> says to me, Jesus Christ, you go, if we know who's going to make it. And they love each other. Yeah. We don't wait. Why do we have to buy the suit? <laughs> he was wearing that suit. He got the So, yeah. That's a nice, I mean, that's a nice twist. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, there, there, there's not. Uh, they don't make them like him anymore. Yeah, they just don't make them like him anymore. Well, let's talk about Hoboken a little bit too. When you were there, you, you said you started to get cleaned up, started to get a little sober towards the end. In terms of music, what were you listening to? Were you still going to as many concerts? Were you hustling? Well, that's when I was straight ticket scalping. Okay, you know and. So when I came back from New Orleans, uh, we're talking 86, and I was teamed up with Freddie the Weeper. And it wasn't until, I wish I had the dates more precise, but it wasn't until like late 87 or early 88 mm-hmm. where um, I got, was able to get that apartment from Joan Torino, the, right. the, the lady, the, the old stripper right. that owned Redheads. <laughs> And she was, you know, she, so I had the apartment. Now I'm a full-time, you know, a Hoboken. I was, as opposed to couch surfing or crash, you know, my parents had moved, staying here, staying there, or staying at Hard Boiled Harry's. I had my own place. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was in the city every day, you know, and I would go to basically whatever was, you know, what was I? Li- I listened to what I always listened to, but you know, ooh, the Kinks are playing the Beacon, mm. and I remember going to the Kinks with Baby Dumpling. Or <laughs> Neil Young's at the Garden with Crazy Horse. Yeah, go to that. Or you know, the Dead were doing their their ten, twelve shows. I wouldn't. I'd go to. A, I'd go to some of them. Right. And uh, it was so convenient because just to get home. You just zipped on the path train mm-hmm. 
And there were two bus lines. There was the New Jersey Transit had a little bus, but then there was a discount bus. Okay. <laughs> and it, it, was, it was no relation to the theater where Ralph the Mummy spent the eight days at the at the uh, the, the properly the proper name was the Big Apple All Night Triple X Cinema and Kung Fu, which 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 was nicknamed the Big Nipple. Right. So there was suddenly another bus line in Hoboken. Really? It was the it was the red apple, so that was the red. We would take the red nipple. Okay. So the, the the New Jersey Transit bus might have been a dollar. Uh, a dollar and a quarter the red nipple was 50 cents wow you know it was like these broken down buses <laughs> but it, it, sort of it, like the uh, the Chinatown buses now exactly, that take you from exactly. New York to Philly like how do they afford for right. 10 bucks how do they afford you know to do it how do they run it yeah but yeah so I lived at 118 Jefferson Street and um, I was talking to Dustin about it and like I had this rule as messed up as we were and as wild and the after nights in, in this after after hours club was stroking by Clarence Clarence Carter. <laughs> we once we get back, especially him, because he was only like 19. I mean, not that I was uh, so prim and proper. I said, but when we go to come to no messing around in Hoboken, mm-hmm. you want to buy drugs, do drugs, this, that. Do it in New York City, mm-hmm. and when you come to Hoboken, that stuff's over. I mean, the apartment was another; it was its own country. <laughs> okay, but uh, and I told Dustin because he wasn't the drinking age was twenty one. Right. Don't come into Redheads. Okay. Because it, it puts you in a bad spot. Right. Redheads and Kellys. I mm-hmm. said, you know, I don't, you know, he. they were serving him in the city. They didn't carge you, you know, mm-hmm. and these all these shitholes on 8th Avenue, the yeah. full moon. and A lot of them are still there. <laughs> they, they just didn't carge you. So naturally one night I'm in Redheads and I told you they had those four steps going down. Yeah. And uh, he comes in, mm-hmm. right? And... Uh, I didn't say nothing to him, but uh, when we left, I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, they didn't card him yeah. because he was a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. So uh, there, there's a hundred bars within a square mile. Yeah. This is the two places I tell you not <laughs> to go. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the um, so where I lived at 118 Jefferson, the, right at the corner. There was a luncheonette hmm. and it was the guy that ran the place. He ran for mayor. Okay. <laughs> it was a highly unlikely candidate. I, I, I'm trying to compare them. Uh, I'm trying to come up with a comparison. If I ran for mayor in Allentown. Oh, no, you know. you, you'd be highbrow. I'm, okay. <laughs> All right. This was just a local guy, Italian. Wasn't, uh, wasn't well connected. No. Yeah. But he just felt like, you know, I've been living in Hope because at the time, the the locals of Hoboken, you know, the, with this gentrification, mm-hmm. were getting pushed out. Gotcha. And uh, he's taking a stand. He's taking a stand. Yeah. He tried to run for mayor. It was an unsuccessful bid. 
And he had a son. And the guy, the, the, the mayor and his wife who ran, you know, this is like a breakfast lunch place. Right. And um, the guy, the, the guy who was the, the mayor told me, be careful of my son. My son's trouble. Yeah. Right. Well, shit. I mean, I'm, I'm on the streets. I'm trouble. And I remember what the guy was. A, he was a, 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 a I don't know if he was a functioning addict, but he was an addict. And I remember one time we wanted the Hoboken Hilton when it was cold. I mean, this thing was built in like 1897. <laughs> and Joan Chirino wasn't real generous in the heat. Right. Felicio Medina couldn't like turn some kind of crank. And you know, you had to have the, the space heaters. Right. And then when it got hot. Oh, I bet it was even worse. Right. Yeah. So made some money at, at some show. Uh Iron Maiden played and it was a, <laughs> happened to be a big ticket. <laughs> got some lucky deals. And um, I remember being uh, going for breakfast and mentioning about getting an air conditioner. And I, I was so naive. Uh, the mayor's son says, I know a good place. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I couldn't go, you know. You can't go to Sears or right. H.H. Right. I, I think one of the problems was uh, I was licenseless at the time. Ah, so you need the ride. Right. To, yeah. So he he got us some air. We, we bought some air conditioner or I'm sure we double paid. Yeah. Or, you know, it was $300, but it should have been $150. Uh, Whatever. It wasn't the end of the world. Another strange thing, oh, there was good eating spots all over Hoboken, too. There was a, there was, it's still there. There's a place called Leo's. I'd love to go back there. Yeah. And it was, it was a, a bar and a restaurant. And they had this, the, you know, that, I didn't want to compare it to mod pizza. Sure. But you know, that size personal pizza. Yeah. Yeah. Leo's had the greatest pizza. Wow. And, uh, other other really good uh, dishes. And uh, old man Leo, he was tending bar. As opposed to Kelly, yeah, he'd have a little wine, but he, he was a, a real gentleman. I remember his son-in-law got involved in the place and nobody liked the son-in-law, mm. but uh, it was a really, you know, it was one, and it was just, it was like just a block and a half but it was the kind of place where I could go and I'd be like, hey, Leo, listen, uh, I don't really have money today. I'll pay. And he was like, don't worry about it, my boy. You know, <laughs> and, and, you know, I would pay him yeah. eventually. But they, they would do that. Same at the mayor's place. Mm -hmm. Like you could, run, you know, you could run tabs. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to imagine. Yeah. But it was just the culture. You could run tabs. Um, Last place I did that was at a bagel cart. Well, there you uh, go. Yeah. And that would be uh, right all along NYU's campus. I mean, there's there's one that was always there on West 4th Street. Then there's one in Astor Place, uh, Cooper Union, right there. And Now, I can't, knowing you, Yeah. I can't imagine you requesting credit. Yeah, I, yeah, when you're, I mean, so at the time, I mean, the that was right when the ATM machine started to, be three bucks, four bucks a shot. And when you only have a hundred in there <laughs> at a time, you know, you got, I just waited until I had a 20 and went back. But yeah, I was a little 
little different when I was 18, 19 years old. So did you, did you like know that this service was available? No. Or did you say to the guy, can hey, I? I forgot my wallet. It was legitimate. Hey, I forgot my wallet. Can I get you tomorrow? And that was, yeah. We were but good. he saw you like every day. Every day. Yeah. I get a snap on a bagel and walk my way off to the, the Brown building or. <laughs> so that was post. just a one time thing. A couple times. Let me slide and run up a tab. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's interesting. But running tabs was, uh, it's just the way business was done back then. Another very strange thing happened. 118 Jefferson. It was a Saturday uh, and it was it was good weather. Might have been during the time when I cleaned up my act. Uh, and I was going to go down to the mayor. It was... It wasn't the morning. It was maybe one in the afternoon. Now, there was the neighborhood was changing and there were a lot of yuppie types mm -hmm. and there was a lot of uh, Latin Americans, you know, that had been living there for years and and old school Hoboken uh, white white people that had been living there for years and and black people mm -hmm. mixed neighborhood. But the the yuppies were a coming. Yeah. And. I go out to go to the mayor's and I look down the block like Jefferson Street was about, you know, you got the river, you got Washington Street with all the businesses was about seven blocks deep. Okay. So it wasn't, you know, there, it was it was it was quiet. So on an average day, I'd walk out the door and there's not like a busy sidewalk. There might be a person here or there, or sometimes no one. Sure. So I go out the door and I'm like, I'm like, am I, it's like a mirage. Am I seeing things? There was a wrestling ring. What? <laughs> the Jefferson, Jefferson Street was closed off. Okay. Second Street was the next block. That would lead up towards where the path is. Mm -hmm. First, second. Once again, Kelly's was 14th. So I was between, I, I was either between first and second or second and third, whatever it was. I'm going down, I look out and they had cones set up. Mm -hmm. It was like a, a street fair. Wow. And it was all, and there's a wrestling. <laughs> and it was, Primarily the neighborhood Latinos. Okay. And there there was some social clubs there. Cool. And I'm like, wow. There's so I go and I'm like practically run, you know, run down the street. And I'm watching. And there's these all Latin American wrestlers. Mm-hmm. Weren't very good. Okay. The ring was beat up. And I remember saying to one of the, those guys, you know, I'm like, hey, I'm a big wrestling fan. I, I, who do you guys work with? And the guy just like said, uh, you know, WCW or something, whatever. <laughs> yeah. As if, you know, and then I spoke to another one of them. It was some small wrestling organization out of like Patterson or Jersey City. Yeah. And as part of the street fair... They had wrestling. <laughs> and I thought this was like the greatest thing. Yeah. You know, to, uh, uh, but there was no notice <laughs> that it was coming. I just walked out and there's wrestling on my street. I, that happened to me in Allentown. 
Really? Yeah, you know how they run Sports Fest down at Cedar Beach? Oh, yeah. I went one time when... I think the Rock was there a couple times. And Foley, too. Foley I was think. there once, yeah. I just must have blanked on the date. I went down with a couple of my buddies, and we saw Batista before Batista was a thing, and we saw Don Morocco. And well, the Samoans must have been. Yeah, so yeah, Samu in particular, often Samu in particular would run those. But I, I usually would see the posters at the grocery store. They're real, they used to be real good about putting the, the posters up and the, the notices up. I must have just not seen it. I drove down with my buddies, and hey, there's the Rock. <laughs> so that's amazing. Uh, yeah. So I, it's it's always incredible when that stuff happens i mean what you said it was kind of luchadors i have so many questions no now. no it was it was it was american style pro wrestling yeah uh they weren't trying to do a lucha libre yeah but it was you know primarily uh latino wrestlers yeah latino wrestlers and yeah. uh they weren't big guys and uh I, I, I kept wanting to, I couldn't get more information. <laughs> I wanted to ask questions, yeah. but I, I was sort of being ignored. So I just, I just took it for what it was. I mean, yeah. if they're going to be wrestling on my block, right. where else can I see this? Sure. Because I want to see wrestling wherever I could see yeah. it. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And they were using, they were, the last, the last, uh, well, the first apartment door or the first building. So I'm at 118 Jefferson, which is about the sixth building. So if you went to the corner, that first corner apartment, somebody in there was supplying their apartment as the dressing room. Really? That's where the guys were coming. That's where they were coming in and out. Oh, well, at least uh, at least Samu and Afa had a nice tent. I remember it as the entranceway <laughs> at beautiful Cedar Beach in Allentown, Pennsylvania. But, but Hoboken, that's, man, you had everything. You had it all. You had Kelly's. You had pop-up wrestling. Pop-up wrestling. <laughs> there was a lot of good food. Uh, the mayor. And the mayor. And uh, the town was, you know, the town was good to me. Um, I, I hated uh, when I, we'll, we'll get, where are we at here? We're about an hour in. All right. Well, we're, we're, when we come back. Um, I'm going to, we still have a, a, a boatload of good stories within the Hoboken period. Yeah. Because that's the heart of my ticket scal the ticket scalping with all the uh, ticket scalping characters. Mm -hmm. But um, this should really lead into um, me leaving Hoboken okay. and how that happened. And it was a good, it, it, it didn't seem good. But the events that took place that moved me out to Lehigh Valley area. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's very interesting because when I, when I left and moved out here, it was like, damn, I'm like, you know, <laughs> I, I was, you know, six minutes and I was on Christopher Street on the path station. Yeah. Or 14 minutes I'm by the garden. Mm -hmm. Now I'm out, you know, in Pennsylvania, but there was good reason for it. And uh you know uh every everything has a you know I'm not always one of these oh it was meant to be kind of things, but mm -hmm. it's just part of the story. So maybe we'll uh pick up on that and we'll go and uh tell a story about it. 
how uh, I left Toboken and how I got out here. And then we'll jump back into the uh, characters and the denizens of Penn Station. <laughs> oh, that sounds great. I'd love to hear it. It sounds it reminds me a lot of the, the movie My Blue Heaven, the way you described it, where uh, Steve Martin goes into the witness protection program, goes to San Diego, and he absolutely hates it. He thinks he's going to hate it, and then he turns out he uh, he really enjoys it out there. So it's, it's away from all the hustle and bustle in New York. Based on the same movie, Goodfellas, the same screenplay, Goodfellas, is written on. I'll have to watch it. Yeah, it's, it's cute. It's funny. Rick Moranis is in it. <laughs> we were, you know, once I got out here, I realized it wasn't that far. Right. You know? But uh, I, I definitely, I mean, and you you could relate to this, you mm-hmm. know, being an NYU guy. Yeah. You know, you miss the city. You do. You yeah. know, and even though I had, cl- I had cleaned up, you still, you know, I still loved going to the shows. Mm-hmm. I still loved other uh, <laughs> activities that were readily available. The Kung Fu, right? The, cu- yeah, the, the Kung, Kung Fu. Fu that were readily available uh, in Manhattan. And... Uh, Turned out they were readily available here too. So <laughs> I told you the executive in down on Cooper. <laughs> so uh, we'll get into that. Yeah, that'll be a lot of fun next week. And and between now and then, if you haven't already, please check out the poster of the week on adfreeshows.com. That's free every week. We have a link to it on my YouTube page as well, where you can see each new episode on the playlist. It's easy to find there. And don't forget 55 and 5 available every weekday. We're still looking for information on Ken Colley, the ghost. And Carrie, we got a real interesting one coming up next Friday. It's the inverse. It's a man that we've seen a lot of newspaper articles on. <laughs> He's got matches galore on YouTube, but nobody's ever written about him in a wrestling sense. So, well, maybe when we come back next week, we'll have some more. Uh, maybe we'll have a Ken Colley update. Ken Colley update and an update on this uh, other strange uh, fifty-five and five participant. And uh, oh, guess what? We finally. Thank you. <laughs> we, got we, 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 ha- we broke 80. Yeah. We have 81 five-star. I don't know they're all five-star, but we they have are, 81 yeah. five-star reviews. And uh, and we're down under 10 micro brawlers. Un- gonna, unbelievable. We're going to gonna sell them all and give some money to Bradbury Sullivan. So it's uh, what a blessed, blessed series of events. Yes. It's Dan. I got to thank Dan Housen because people went and bought his micro brawler. Uh, he sold out in less than a day. And with it, for some reason, they bought mine with it. <laughs> we must make a great team, me and Dan House. Why not? <laughs> so, <laughs> there you have it. So uh, it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. We're going to thank AJ, our producer. We're going to thank uh, Eric from Discover Pro Wrestling. Yes. Um, and I'm going to put the pressure on you. Okay. To, to, uh, and it's not like it's a, I know you're busy with the kids and the jobs and yeah. <laughs> Sarah and everything else, but you gotta at least watch One Night in Miami. All right, I will do it. That's a that's you know, a promise. I will watch it before before we reconvene. So then we can talk a little more about uh, Sam Cooke and uh, Ali and everyone else. But you'll really enjoy it. Oh, it sounds good. Thank you, everybody, for listening this week. It's been a really fun episode once again. We return next week as Carrie ventures from Hoboken to the Lehigh Valley. Let's talk to you then. listening to last stop penn station podcast rate review like subscribe and share on your favorite platform 
connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or at laststoppenstation.com. <laughs>